Hello and welcome to Euromoney at COP26. My name is Lucy Fitzgeorge-Parker. I'm the editor for Sustainable Finance at Euromoney magazine, and I'm your host for this podcast, in which I'll be bringing you news and views from the UN Climate Conference in Glasgow. It's the afternoon of Monday, the first day of the World Leaders Summit, and I'm on the ground in Glasgow. To be more specific, I'm in a hotel lobby just off Argyle Street, hoping that the Wi-Fi holds out, because unfortunately my guest for today, Kate Levick of environmental think tank E3G, isn't in Glasgow. She tested positive for COVID late last week and had to cancel her travel plans. However, she has very kindly agreed to go ahead and record the podcast today from her home in London. So Kate, it's great to have you with us. Many thanks for persevering with this. How are you feeling? Oh, well, thank you. It's um, it's a pleasure to be invited on the podcast. I've got to say I have felt a little better. Um, so my main um, objective is not to cough too much on this podcast. <laughs> well, as I, if you do, we will try to edit it out. And I'm sure that everyone will appreciate the efforts that you're making. Uh, are you are you very disappointed not to be able to get to Glasgow in person? Do you think there's a lot of stuff that you'll be able to keep up with virtually? Um, yes. Well, obviously, you know, this is such a major event. It is a shame not to be there in person. There are quite a few members of my, you know, wider E3G team, um, other E3Gers are on the ground. And so I'm in constant touch with them and hearing all the news from them. Um, I'd also say that this is very much a conference where, you know, there's a lot that you can follow online. A lot of the activity is being streamed. Um, a lot of the side events are being held kind of virtually or in hybrid formats, simply because of the pandemic context. So it's really very easy to follow on what's happening. Having said that, there is no substitute for being there, walking the corridors and, you know, seeing what's happening in real time. And what is E3G's main role at this conference? What are your team on the ground doing? What's their focus for this week? Well, E3G is a think tank that works on the politics of climate change. And in that context, we've done a lot of work leading into this COP to support a number of um, the different negotiation strands. So I lead our work on finance, and obviously that's quite an important topic at COP. But, you know, other issues that are around sort of diplomacy, adaptation, resilience, um, and energy transition, colleagues have also worked on those. So there are, you know, a number of discussions and announcements where, um, you know, E3G has maybe provided some input or some support to some countries where we're maybe working with other civil society organisations who are there. So, you know, there's a, a lot of important conversations to be had at this conference for an organisation like us. And then on the finance side, because that's obviously why you're speaking to us as we're a financial publication, what do you think are going to be the big highlights or potentially the most important things that come out of this for the financial sector, particularly over the next couple of days? We've obviously got the World Leaders Summit that's today and tomorrow, and also then Finance Day on Wednesday. What do you think we should be looking out for? Sure. Well, yes, this is quite an interesting couple of days. We have, um, you know, the World Leaders Summit going on right now and then straight into um, the COP finance day which will feature a number of finance ministers so I think one of the most important things that the finance sector can be taking away just from sort of the framing of this and and, and who's turning up is that this is really serious this is not um, any more you know a case where you know COPs would be something that was attended only by environment ministers and that wouldn't appear to be a very strong market signal for you know financial markets potentially this is something that national leaders and finance ministers are turning up to taking very seriously and i think you know we can expect that there will be a signal out of cop that this is the direction of travel that the world is moving to in that zero economic trajectory um by mid-century and that that does require shifting investments shifting business strategies hmm. 
Specifically on Finance Day, we've had a lot of big announcements from the finance sector on climate recently over the past year with the formation of the Net Zero Banking Alliance, various other similar uh, organisations, coalitions, and lots of banks and asset managers committing to net zero targets. Have we had all the big announcements already? Do you think there is anything likely that's going to come out of Finance Day we might be waiting for? I think there will be a few announcements still to come on Finance Day. Obviously, it's been quite a sequence because before the opening of COP, we had the G20 leaders at the mm. weekend and some quite important you know, financial signals coming out of that, um, particularly around um, you know, moving away from investing in public finance in coal. I think there's been a very strong signal that this COP marks kind of the end of coal financing and you know, some signals towards the um, beginning of the end of financing really for other fossil fuels as well so that's you know we expect to see more of that coming through actually both on finance day and on energy day which will be the following day I think we'll see more on this kind of theme coming through we will also see on finance day more of a focus on the private sector finance part you know exactly as you've mentioned with these net zero alliances that's not something that's part of the formal negotiations although public finance is a very important part of the formal negotiations but finance day marks the point where of that private sector momentum can come together and we'll see the formal launch of GFANS, the lovely acronym, the Glasgow Finance Alliance for Net Zero, which is an umbrella headed by Mark Carley, an umbrella platform under which all these different net zero alliances come together. I'm absolutely sure that we will see, you know, more firms making more commitments and stating more definitive action again to kind of create that strong market signal. And from your perspective, do you think all these coalitions are a positive? I mean, we do seem to have quite a lot of coalitions that have been coming out now. And there's a lot of talk about you know, achieving consensus, which I mean, clearly has a value. But I sometimes wonder whether that's going to mean that some things get a bit kicked down the road while people are waiting for consensus. Is that a concern for you? Yeah, to unpack your question, there are a few different things going on here. Um, there has been the most extraordinary shift in momentum around the financial sector and net zero over, over the last um, year or so. And, you know, I have heard it said that about two thirds of assets under management are now subject to net zero commitments, which is extraordinary. You know, that's really the market has passed a tipping point on that front. At the same time, there has been much more scrutiny of, well, what are these commitments? Are they really meaningful? And, you know, if a firm makes a commitment only for 2050, that can, you know, basically kick into the long grass any action in nearer term. So there are, um, and there's, a you know, a number of sort of NGOs and campaigning organisations who are, you know, playing that scrutinising role. And it may be that on Finance Day, we see some of that coming up to the fore as well. Um, however, I'd say that, you know, efforts under things like GFANS are trying to bring high expectations, high quality standards to this whole space and to bring things together rather than have too much fragmentation. And we will see that continue to evolve. So when it comes to new announcements on Finance Day, you know, one thing that I think we can expect to see things that indicate that this space is shifting more from being just in this voluntary space where it's a bit of a wild west and anything goes through to being more regulated. And eventually, you know, this whole area of financial sector commitments and targets and plans for transition is going to pass into the hands of financial regulators. That is already happening. And I think we'll see more indications of that on Finance Day. As you rightly pointed out, of course, there is a distinction between what's going on on Finance Day on the private sector. And obviously, there are a lot of events around that. And obviously, then the intergovernmental, the public sector uh, end, end of that, the policy side. 
there's been a lot of talk from both sides about the need to activate private finance to address the climate crisis. Um, what do you think, uh, but, but there's still a certain amount of lack of clarity on how that's actually going to be achieved. I mean, you mentioned financial regulation, which clearly is one uh, thing that this is going to clearly will be taken very seriously by any financial sector players. Are there other things that policymakers could do that would, or, or indeed that bankers could do or asset managers to start to get this public private sector finance working uh, a bit more quickly, meeting these you know, urgent needs that are out there? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, this is where it starts tying into the you know public finance agenda that is some um, more officially part of the COP agenda. So, um, you know, one of the things that will really make or break the success of this COP is whether the developing and emerging economies do feel that the rich countries are delivering the climate finance that they have promised and which has been promised for really quite some time and has been really difficult to mobilise to the extent it was supposed to be mobilised, particularly in the context of the pandemic and all the economic impacts of that. But, you know, those pandemic economic impacts have made things so much more difficult for those developing and emerging economies um, in order to put their economies on a on a green trajectory, you know, they really need substantial investment and they need, you know, to have their fiscal space opened up so that they have room to make investments. Um, you know, this really requires private and public partnerships of various kinds and uh, there's a lot that the leading countries can do to enable that sort of financial firepower and really open things up. So one of the things that we have talked about a lot in E3G is the power to really use the world's public bank system a lot more effectively. Um, We have, you know, multilateral development banks and then a series of national public banks, you know, all over the world, which, um, you know, working together as kind of a public bank ecosystem can really help to deliver more public finance, but also mobilise that private finance by sort of creating and opening up new markets. So we'd like to see a lot more bold action in that area to, you know, really get mobilising the trillions rather than the billions. Well, actually, interestingly there, I mean, I'm assuming there you are talking about development banks at national level, but what about the uh, sort of state-owned banks that you have in quite a lot of emerging markets, including large emerging markets? There seems to be often not a lot of focus on those. Do you think that's something people should be looking at more? Um, Yes, absolutely. As I said, we sort of see this as a potentially sort of an ecosystem of public banks. There have been some real efforts in the last couple of years to create more of that sense, Um, particularly the French have done a lot to organise this and, you know, created this forum of finance in common that brings together the world's public banks. Um, You know, E3G has done work that has shown that, you know, by really using that ecosystem effectively and perhaps, you know, changing some of the parameters on which public banks are allowed to operate it's really possible to leverage a lot more private finance and you know even though donor countries are finding it difficult right now to um, to give substantial amounts more of public finance um, they can do a lot even with the tools that they have although we also think that they should go further and do more Fantastic. Well, these are mini podcasts, so I should probably leave it there and also let you get on with recovering from COVID. So um, just one last thing. What would be your one message to the financial sector, to financial sector participants who are in Glasgow this week? I would suggest to them that they should start thinking about how they will transition their businesses to a net zero economy by mid-century, because they will be asked to do that. (laughs) I'm sure that a lot of them are, but um, yes, I I think that is clearly going to be where the challenge is actually implementing all this stuff. But well, Kate, I say thank you very, very much indeed for joining us when you're not great. I do hope that you get well soon and um, sorry you couldn't make it to Glasgow. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Lucy. Thanks very much. (laughs) 